So I'm a little bit prejudiced, but I would put our worship team up, about, uh, up against anybody else in the land. I would. I've, I've taught them everything that I know, and, and they're still pretty good. I'm just saying. So as we start the regathering process, uh, what I want to do with you this morning for just a few minutes is I want to talk to you about some essential things that have to be in, our, in place. So there's some essential things for my life and there's some essential things for the church's life. And I want to suggest there are five things that as we start regathering, we need to start refocusing on and really make sure that we're in alignment with where God is and what he is doing in the world today. So the first one is the idea of the concept of the kingdom of God and being kingdom-minded. The central message of Jesus when he walked the planet was the kingdom of God. That's what it was. I want to show you this from the Bible. In Mark chapter 1, verse number 14, this is what the Bible says, and it's so powerful. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus ties the gospel and the kingdom together. Do you see that? This is masterful. This, is, this was the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus was simply the kingdom of God. Now, there are two parts to the kingdom of God that you and I need to understand. And uh, so let me first of all define the gospel or the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that when Jesus came, God moved into the world in an unprecedented way. Now, let's stop there for just a second. Up until this time in the history of Israel, God would hang out at the temple, right, or in, the, or in a tent. But now, God takes on human form in the, in the form of Jesus, and he now is walking among his people. And so he's introducing the concept of the kingdom of God right now, right here, right with us. And it's such an amazing thing. It is the rule of God on this planet by Jesus Christ. And, and so that's the first part. of there's the, it's, there's the here and now. And it's important. And Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is with you right now. Right now, as you and I are gathered in his name, the kingdom of God is in our midst and it is an important concept. And what I want you to be is I want you to be kingdom-minded. But there's something more to the kingdom than just that. The second piece of the kingdom is the then. So there's the here and now, and then there's the then. There's the time coming when Jesus steps off of his throne and he comes back a second time and the kingdom of God is fulfilled on this planet. And so what we're supposed to be doing until that happens is twofold. Number one, we are to understand that the kingdom of God is right now, right here in our midst. And it's ever moving. It's powerful. It's the rule of God on this planet. And we're supposed to be involved in ushering that rule in by our lifestyle, by our message, by who we are, by, by our love for, for the unbelievers, by all of that. But there's something else that you and I are supposed to be doing, and that is in the, in, while we're waiting, while, we are, while we're serving Jesus now, we are to be waiting and longing for that time when Jesus Christ comes back. It's something in the life of believers that we should be thinking about every day. And we should be like the Apostle John that basically said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The coming of Jesus Christ is the next major event on this planet and you and I are to be longing for it, to be looking for it. Not, we, don't want to, we don't want him to delay in any way, shape, or form. So 
What I need to do is I need to stop putting my hope in any other Savior than Jesus and live for him today. That's what I need to do. Because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go a little crazy on you today. I'm just gonna, I'll be back next weekend. Actually, I won't, but, but, uh, but, uh, but here's the deal. I'm just gonna say no politician can deliver America. Only Jesus can. That is my firm, that is my firm conviction. And uh, there are two indicators of whether I am kingdom-minded or not. There are two indicators, and so one of them is not applause. I'm like, you can applaud all day, but here's the two indicators that you can tell whether or not you're kingdom-minded. Number one, and these two things don't lie. First of all, look at your bank account. Look at your bank account and see whether or not you're kingdom-minded because if you invest more money in your vacation than in the kingdom, I'm just saying you're probably not kingdom-minded. Can I say that? You thought you, I was going to be easy on you the first weekend back, didn't you? But I'm just saying, listen to me carefully. If you're spending more money on your entertainment than on Jesus' kingdom, then I'm just simply saying to you, listen to me carefully, there needs to be some adjustment in your life. There's something that's astray. There's something ajar in your life. You're not quite there when you're, when you're not investing inside the kingdom. And then the second place that I could look is I could look at my calendar. And determine whether or not I'm kingdom-minded because if I don't have a regular place in my calendar for things like Bible study or, or gathering with other believers in some form, whether it's Zoom or some other form or whatever means you do, if I don't have that regularly in my calendar, maybe I'm not kingdom-minded, as kingdom-minded as I thought I might be. So essential to our mission, essential to our miss mission and essential to our message is the kingdom of God. And so you and I, as Christ followers, are supposed to be modeling the kingdom of God in every way, shape, and form. Out in Dayton, Nevada, interesting thing. Out in Dayton, Nevada, there is a gentleman who has declared himself to be the king over his own country. This is a true story. And uh, that's him right there. And uh, he, has the, he, has, he has developed what is called the Republic of Molossia, and it has its own Navy, Naval, Naval Academy, space program, railroad, postal system, own measurement system, holidays, online movie theater, online radio station, even its own time zone. And here's what I want to say to you today. You may not have declared yourself king of a kingdom, but how you live every day suggests what kingdom you're building, right? Now, that's kind of out there, right? Would you agree with that? And the answer to that question would be, yes, Dan, that's out there. But the reality is, is subtly, we, do this, we might be doing the same things by how we're living our life as if Jesus wasn't coming back, as if our hope isn't in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Do you agree that that's absolutely essential for you and I, absolutely essential for you and I, if you and I are going to call ourselves Christ's followers, then our message needs to line up with Jesus' message. Do you believe that? That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that you and I need to be externally focused, just like Jesus was externally focused. So what does that mean? Jesus sought out, listen to me carefully, when Jesus came to the planet, he didn't necessarily go to the upper middle class neighborhoods. He sought out of his culture of people that were outcasts and became friends with them. He didn't just go preach to them. He became friends with people that were considered in his culture and his time 
outcasts. It means having compassion on difficult people. That's what it means. If I'm going to be externally focused, it means I need to have compassion on difficult people. At the end of the age, when Jesus comes back and gathers the nations together for judgment, in Matthew chapter 25, this is what it says, and the king will say, that is Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, when you were doing it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. He's giving reward and he's giving punishment out based upon the reality of how you and I, how the nations treated the least than these people. Do you understand that? That's the nature of the judgment that's meted out at the end of the age. And so the question that I have to ask is, what is my attitude? What is my posture? What is my posture towards people that are the outsiders, that the outcasts of society? Do I look at them, at them with judgment and disdain? Or do I actually want to be their friends? That's the calling of the church. That's the calling of the life of the believer. In Southern California, right before COVID took place, there was a church that moved into a new facility. And uh, this is what the pastor said. You know, they you know, had to obviously shut down. And, but right before they had to shut down, the pastor, the weekend before they were going to move in, had two phone calls three hours apart. And they had just gotten word that right next to the church, there was going to be a low-cost housing development that was going to be placed right on the property line. They were going to share a property line. And so one guy calls up the pastor and said, can we please just build a fence so all these kids can't come on our property and destroy it? Can we build a fence? And then about three hours later, another phone call came in and this guy said, you know what would be awesome, pastor, is if we could build a stairway so that it would be easier for them to get on our property. So here's my question to you. And this is really an important question for you to answer for yourself, not to me. Are you a fence or are you a pathway? Because in the kingdom of God, what is essential is that you and I are pathways to the place of God. Not blockades, not barriers, but you and I, I mean, God forbid that you and I would ever cause someone to stumble and not come to Christ because of our unloving, unkind attitude. So you and I are to put on Christ and to have an, ex, have an external focus. What else is essential to the mission? Well, this is going to be hard for some, and that is that we have to learn the discipline of being culturally relevant. Did you know that in America, every week a church shuts its doors forever? They just grow old and die because they never became relevant to the community they lived in. They never became known or seen as something that was valuable to the people around them. It means that if you and I are to be culturally relevant, it means that you and I have to be a bridge between two worlds, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. We have to be that bridge. And to be relevant means that we have to do things and act in ways that are uncomfortable, especially to the religious. Are you with me? Hear me out. How far do we go? How far do you and I go to be culturally relevant? The answer to that question, I believe, this is the answer that I give, is that I go right up to the point of not committing an act of sin. I go right up to that gate. Everything short of sin is what I'm going to do to win someone to Jesus Christ. 
And I'm going to tell you, when you live your life that way, religious people, like they did in Jesus' day, religious people will always attack you and always be offended at what you do. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up. This was Paul. This is what Paul said. Even though I am free uh, of a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Paul's attitude is whatever I have to do, whatever I have to do, and I'm going to add short of sin. When I was with the Jews, I, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I am with Gentiles who do not follow the rituals and the traditions of the Jewish law, I live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. Paul said, yes, I, find, I, I try to find a common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Now notice the personal pronouns here. You know, it's very spiritual to say God does the saving. Paul said he did. Right here, read it. That I might, by my behavior and by my lifestyle, be the instrument, and I think Paul understood this, be the instrument that God uses to bring people to Christ. Again, it comes back to that. Am I a bridge? Am I a pathway? Or am I a fence? To be culturally irrelevant means that you, you do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus Christ. Well-intentioned Christians sometimes will be offended when you tell uh, when, you, when, you act your, when you live your life this way. I have lots of people that write me emails and tell, tell me what a compromising church grace is. And uh, I get that all the time. I'm, I'm okay with that because I serve Jesus. And I want him to be the one that, I, that gives me the applause or rejection. So if you want a measuring stick to see how you're doing, ask yourself this. Am I growing more loving to God and to people? That's the measuring stick. If I'm culturally irrelevant, I'm learning to be more loving towards God and I'm learning to be more loving towards people of all, of all classes. Am I being more loving? So speaking of culturally irrelevant, I'm gonna just stop for just a moment and I'm gonna talk about something that's a little controversial and I don't care because you know, you'll come back to church because you're, you're so hungry to come back, right? Amen, that was a joke. Okay, come on. So, Here's what I want. I think that probably the most culturally relevant thing that we can do in the turbulent times that we live is to register to vote and to vote. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, whatever side you're on, register to vote and vote, enter into the culture, and don't just on Facebook or social media be mean. All right, I'm just simply saying, I'm tell, I, I watch Facebook and I'm going, you call, I read things and I'm going, in your bio you say you're a Christ follower, but you're just acting mean. Where in the Bible does it give you the privilege politically to be mean to anybody, even your enemies? I mean, am I teaching the Bible or what? Come on now. Come on. Come on. I have got a license to be mean. So... I don't care if you tell me who you're going to vote for. That's awesome. That's great. Glad to know who you're going to vote for. Um, but don't criticize and tear down who you're not voting for. That's not Jesus' methodology. We're called to be a city set on a, on a hill. That's who we are. You got that? Everybody okay with that? So the next element feeds right into that last element, and that is the concept of being grace-based. You and I are to be grace-based in everything we do. Grace is in its simplest form means undeserved favor, but it's much more than that. 
So let's start with the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 10. Paul says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor, that's the idea of grace, on me and not without results. Paul is saying, I am who I am. Everything about me is because everything in my life is because God has been good to me. He's poured his favor out. Every gift that I have, every talent that I have, every resource that I have is because God has shown favor on my life. No matter what circumstances that I'm in, even when I have nothing, God is still showing favor inside of my life. So Paul's attitude is, is that grace is everything and I am all, everything that I am comes from God's grace. So how do I know if I am a grace-based believer? That's a great question, right? How do you know if what drives your life is grace? Okay, so put your seatbelts on, take a deep breath, let's go there and just talk about it. There are two questions you have to ask yourself. If you're going to determine whether you're grace-based or not, there are, two, there are two things that you have to ask yourself. The first question is simply this. How many rules do you have that you impose on other people? How many rules do you have? Jesus had two. How, what's your list? Maybe it's unspoken. Maybe you should evaluate that. Jesus had two rules. This is what they were. Love God. Love God with all your heart mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself that's how he lived and then he tells us to live the same way so the longer the list of rules that I have that I impose on other people the less grace I have in my life if I'm grace-based I love people where they are if I'm grace-based I don't impose my standards on them I live with two rules. I love people. I love God. The second question that you have to ask is this. How well do you love people who oppose you? I'm not asking you how well do you love your family. That's easy, right? Most days. <laughs> but I'm talking about people who actually oppose you, that, you're, that, that are enemies of you. How well are you doing at loving them right where they're at? That's grace-based. That's what Jesus did to his enemies. He loved them right where they're, he, right where they're at. I love Dennis the Menace cartoon. This is an old, if you don't know who Dennis the Menace is, you should probably Google him and, uh, and just look at some of the things that the, the, the author did. But there's this old one that I just resonate with. And so it, Dennis and Joey are leaving Mrs. Wilson's house one day with a plate of cookies. And Joey turns to Dennis and says to Dennis, I wonder what we did to make Mrs. Wilson so happy with us. And Dennis turns back to Joy and says, Joy, you have this all backwards. It's not based on how good we are. It's how good she is. That's grace. That's how God operates with us. And that's how you and I should be operating with one another. Lastly, what is essential to my life is to be biblically founded. I've got to be biblically founded. I've got to be founded and grounded in Scripture. So let's talk about that for just a second. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Stop there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So Paul wrote some of it. Peter wrote some of it. 
A lot of authors wrote, you know, there's several other authors that wrote some of the New Testament. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? It means literally it was God breathed. That's what that word means. It's two Greek words that are put together to make one new English word called inspiration. But it literally is God breathed. And this God breathed book that you and I possess, that we have on our phones, that we have on our laps, that we have in, we've dust off occasionally at home, that book, that God inspired book, I'm gonna just give you four or five words, probably four words in, that I think will help you understand the importance of being biblically founded. So the first word is simply this. It is the Bible gives us instruction. Does anybody here know everything? There is to know about God or life in general. Anybody? So what I need is instruction, right? I need God to instruct me every day. Because left to my own, I'm a mess. Left to my own wisdom, I have none. So what the Bible provides for me if I'm consistent and steadfast inside of it, what the Bible provides for me is, a, is an instruction of how to live, how to love, how to love God. The second word that I think jumps off the pages as I read this verse is the idea of correction. So I don't know about you, but I'm easily distracted. I mean, there's that bird, right? You know, I'm easily distracted. I'm easily knocked off course. And I'm pretty certain that so are you. And that this thing called COVID has probably knocked many of you off your rhythms of life, right? And I, I'm just simply telling you, listen carefully. What the Bible provides for us is an opportunity to be corrected. And if you think you're above correction, then I just simply say, wow, you got it way wrong. Everybody needs to be corrected. Everybody. The third word that comes off the page is the idea of promise. The Bible gives us so, so many promises that you and I can take to the bank, like the second coming of Jesus, that God is going to come and fix this broken world. Like the fact that if I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. Like the promise that I will never be forsaken. I can be cast down and nearly crushed, but God will never forsake me. That I have a home, that God has gone to prepare a place for me, and he is going to go, he's going to return and receive me unto himself, that where he is there, I'm going to be also. Those are promises that every day, and as you're reading through the Bible, you know, truthfully, you're going to come across things that you're going to need for that day. For that day. God is going to give you something that you're need, going to need to hold on to. And if you're not in the Bible, if you're not biblically founding yourself, then you'll miss that. You'll miss that, you'll miss that golden opportunity for God to speak directly into your circumstances and your life. And I think another word that jumps off the page to me is the idea of context. The Bible gives me a context for life. Let me give you an example of that. Anybody here love suffering? I don't. You know, I'd rather sip, you know, Kool-Aid or iced tea with my feet up, you know, with my air conditioner on. I don't like suffering. But you know what the Bible does for me? It gives me a context for suffering. It gives me 
a beginning and an ending and it shows me that all suffering comes to an end and all suffering has a purpose and God is going to use me in the midst of my suffering to help somebody else. It's context. And context is really, really important. When I'm in the midst of the darkness and I've lost my way, context is essential for me to understand. But most importantly, what the Bible does is it exposes the character, works, reputation, and ways of God. That's what it does. So as I read the Bible, what I learn is that I learn more about God. And you know, you think about who God is. The main mechanism that God is using to reveal himself is the scripture. We can see him in a lot of places. But the main place that we learn to find who God is, his works, his character, his reputation, his ways, is when you and I found ourselves in the Bible every day. And as you do that, I'm telling you, life becomes different. The mark set by the world is ever shifting. Would you agree with that? The world just gives us a, a moving target. This is success one day, and this is success the next. But here's what I love about God. The truths founded in Jesus Christ are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The mark isn't constantly moving. It produces stability in my life. I can count on it. I can count on what God's Word does for me. And so the only right response to being biblically founded is an ever-growing surrender to God. An ever-growing lifestyle that just has a deeper desire to worship and praise and honor the living God. To be available to Him. To surrender to Him. The more you know of the character, works, and reputation of God, the more you know about the name of God, the more you know about who He is, the more you recognize what a marvel it is that he would love such a messed up person like you and like me. That's the marvel of being biblically founded is that God's love, when you begin to see his name and his character and his work and his reputation, just to understand the depth of his commitment to a broken world. I mean, if I was God, I would have just, I mean, this is me, I'm a little impatient, I'd have blown the whole planet up and started over. But that's not him. He works through all the people that are putting their fist up and screaming at him and saying, you don't exist. I'm wondering why they're saying that if he doesn't exist, but that's another story altogether. But in the midst of rebellion, people say, show us a sign. Show us a sign and we'll believe. And so during the great tribulation period, he shows miracles and signs and wonders. And you know what the world does? Puts their fist up in the air and says, we'll not have this man rule over us. And yet God, in his faithful, tender kindness, loves this world in ways that cannot be understood with the human mind, can only be understood in the spirit. It's amazing. And if you're not biblically founded, you miss that. You just miss that. So being biblically founded is really a crucial piece 
of what's essential as we start to regather of really making a new commitment to founding myself, not depending on anybody else, but founding myself in the Holy Scripture, allowing it to take root inside of my life. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. And may my words be used in a very unique and powerful way. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and awesome name. Amen.